Over the past seven days, the government's coronavirus messages have become mired in confusion. If people are confused, you can undermine the remarkable level of consent and order we've had to date. But for months, behind the scenes, a previously secret group of psychologists has been giving the government advice, some of which seems to have gone unheeded. For instance, clarity and precision, preparing and explaining the basis for things. Leadership is tremendously important in a crisis like this. So what went wrong? And what will the confusion mean for the nation's health in the next phases of the pandemic? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, stay alert... The Psychology of Changing Lockdown Messages. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Let's have a flick through some of the papers. Daily Express, first steps to freedom from Monday. The Daily Mail front page, hurrah, lockdown freedom beckons. The Sun has the headline, happy Monday. There is this euphoria, isn't there, across the front pages. Starting a week ago, anonymous briefings to the press suggested that Monday would mark a significant easing of lockdown. But then, on Sunday night... No, this is not the time simply to end the lockdown this week. Instead, we're taking the first careful steps to modify our measures. Boris Johnson's address to the nation has been followed by days of confusion. There was some confusion about that, wasn't there, from uh, Dominic Rudd? He said you could meet your mother and father at the same time. That was wrong. Stay alert by staying home as much as possible. But stay alert when you do go out. Yesterday you left the nation with more questions than answers. Why have you been so vague with who can start back at work? What if they're already at the park when we get there? Should we leave or can we stay and talk? This is the problem, isn't it? There is no clarity. It's a load of old flannel. I understood until last night at 7 o'clock. I understood where we were going. I understood what was happening. Now I don't understand. My basic message for Scotland remains the same. Please stay at home. We must stay alert, control the virus, and save lives. Thank you very much. I think stay home is clearer than stay alert. What is happening is that we are changing strategy. We're not relaxing, we're not easing, we're certainly not ending, and we don't have a victory. 
My name is Steve Reicher. I'm a social psychologist at the University of St Andrews. Steve Reicher is also, we now know, a member of SPY-B, the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on Behaviours. Well, calling it SPY, what makes it sound terribly James <laughs> Bond, but unfortunately it isn't. I don't get him an Aston Martin and I get no fancy gadgets. This previously secret group of scientists gives its advice to SAGE the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, which in turn has been giving advice to the UK government on the pandemic. In this episode, I'm talking to Steve about the advice that seems to have fallen by the wayside. So we are asked questions by SAGE about particular policies. What will the effect of this be? What will the effect of that be? And our advice goes into the mix with other things. And that's the way it should be. On Sunday afternoon, as the Prime Minister unveiled his new Stay Alert slogan on Twitter, Steve tweeted, So the captain has decided to steer the ship directly onto the rocks. God help us all. Mm. Well, that was a tweet, and we tweet all sorts of things. It was a sense of, you know, I don't think that people now are completely clear about what they're supposed to do. And what is more, I fear that now people will go out in large numbers and forget about the other restrictions, which, if anything, are more important. And thirdly, that people will be asked or sometimes even required to do things like going to work before we've prepared the workplaces to make it safe. And so I did have a sense at that point that we've all made immense sacrifices. We don't want to waste all that by being precipitous. And so, yeah, I had a concern. But I think the most important is to learn and to understand how to do things positively in the future. We are making decisions, often in conditions of uncertainty, where the scientific knowledge is still evolving. Of course, everyone is going to make mistakes. However, the problem is not in making mistakes. The problem is in not learning from mistakes. So I've not only been critical, I've also been trying to be positive and give examples of what I think needs to be done. What we've got to do is to help this government get us out of this mess. It is now almost two months since the people of this country began to put up with restrictions on their freedom, your freedom, of a kind that we have never seen before in peace or war. That does bring us to the current dilemma. Tell me about Sunday. Tell me about the Prime Minister's speech. To me, the biggest problem of all was the framing. What's happening at the moment is not that we are at the end or near the end of this pandemic. We are probably 10 to 15% of the way through the history of COVID-19. We've got to a particular stage of controlling the virus where we can switch to alternative strategies like track, trace, isolate and support. I think that the way the shift was done was incredibly unhelpful. And it wasn't just the speech, it was the whole preparation and the whole way in which we think about the pandemic. And the public documents coming out of SPY-B, we talk about a number of principles. Making sure that you prepare 
and you explain to people why things are necessary. And secondly, the need to be very precise, to give messages which tell people behaviorally what to do. If you say to people, look, you don't need to stay in your homes as much, you actually then need to take social distancing more seriously and you need to take hygiene more seriously. And all that was undermined by all the headlines which tied the virus into V-Day and talked about victory, the end to lockdown and so on and so forth, and giving the impression that people could just relax, rush out. It's hardly surprising that many people went out because not everybody listens to all the details, they listen to the headlines. But those headlines last week were a direct result of government briefing and they all talked about the end of lockdown, lockdown easing. What were you thinking as you read them? I felt that there was a real danger of undermining a lot of good work and a lot of understanding by the public. My fear was that actually, in some ways, especially in terms of going outside, I didn't disagree with the decision. It's good for you. But the advantages outweighing the costs is completely contingent on maintaining social distancing. So you need to give an overall framing which doesn't make people think that this leads to freedom. And also, you need to think about the practicalities. None of the messaging, none of the preparation was done. I felt it was important to say so because you need to learn from your mistakes and get it right in the future. Tell me a bit about your role on Spy B. It's basically a group mainly of behavioural scientists who give advice. It is scientific discussion on the behavioural science dimensions of the pandemic. Until we actually find a vaccine, nearly everything that we can do involves a behavioural dimension. On the 12th of March, 11 days before the UK entered lockdown, Boris Johnson held his first coronavirus press conference, flanked by the Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty and the Chief Scientific Advisor, Sir Patrick Vallance. And behavioural science was centre stage. How sure are you that the approach you're taking, holding back from some of the more drastic measures, is the right one? Well, we're guided by the science and everything that we do. An important part of the science on this is actually the behavioural science. And what that shows is people start off with the best of intentions but enthusiasm at a certain point starts to flag. Just to be really clear about that, the delay is to maximise the effect. But meanwhile, across Europe, other countries were reaching different conclusions. France is just hours away from a nationwide lockdown. Italy locking down the entire country. Spain and Germany now locking down their countries. We have to deploy these at the right time to maximise their effect. In the UK, we were told the behavioural scientists believed the public would only put up with a lockdown for a few weeks. So the government waited until the situation was critical. My personal view is we locked down too late. And that is partly why the infection has got more purchase in this country than in some other places. Do you think they locked down too late because they worried the British public wouldn't cope with a lockdown or they wouldn't have very long, so they delayed it as much as possible? Well, you might get fatigue over time, but there is no evidence it's psychological fatigue. 
There was a poll recently which showed that when you look at the population, about 90%, just over 90% of people were supporting and complying with lockdown a couple of weeks ago. Of those, about half, 48%, were actually quite comfortable. 44% were suffering. 20% of single-parent families, for instance, can't put food on the table. Their children are going hungry. But despite that, people are observing lockdown because they know it's for the good of the community. And in many ways, the British public have led on this. They led in demanding a lockdown. They led in many ways in demanding that there be a financial packages so that people could afford to stay under lockdown. The public have led. They've behaved with extreme good sense. And it's the government sometimes who have followed the public. Now, the implication of that is that your problem is not with psychology. It's not with lack of motivation. It's actually with enabling people. That's a principle that's been made very clear by Spy B, that we should be enabling. And that has implications for what you should practically do, that you should start not by saying, oh, look, people are psychologically weak, or they're malevolent, or they're covidiots, and they go out. You should start by saying, how can we help people to do what we ask of them? And how easy is it to model people's behaviour? The problem with this pandemic is that everything is new. It hasn't happened before, so we can't use past examples and directly uh, apply them. We have to think more generally about the ways in which people behave and the ways in which we can affect and influence how people behave. The clear fact of the matter, and I talked to one of the modelers about this, is that the effects of lockdown were very sensitive to levels of compliance. Even a few percentage points change in the level of compliance could radically change the effect to which lockdown flattened the curve. We use our psychology to help in the overall effort and to complement the medical science, the epidemiology. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So the psychology and people's behavior is really vital at a time like this. Take us back to that very first meeting when you're asked to try to work out how people would behave under, as you said, extraordinary circumstances, something we've never experienced before. What were your initial thoughts? The first meeting now feels like a thousand years ago. I mean, you know, during this pandemic, a week feels like a year and going back to February feels like going back to a different world. What I do remember is 
a remarkable sense of seriousness, of concern, and a remarkable desire to contribute. How have you drawn on your own personal experience? I know you've sort of looked at things like the London bombings. How did any of that feed into the your thinking around this? I came into this, I was asked to take part in it, partly because of the work that I've done with my colleague John Drury on behaviour in emergencies. In hard times, under pressure, the assumption is often that human beings will crack, that they'll behave antisocially, that they'll panic and so on. Actually, you find the precise opposite. When we started that work, we too thought that in many cases, people will behave antisocially. We had a model which said, well, perhaps if people are already part of a group in a disaster, they'll help each other. So say you're at a football ground and something happens, well, because you're all fans, you'll support each other. Whereas if you're in some context where you're just there as individuals, you just happen to be travelling on the tube or whatever, then you won't be a group and you won't support each other. And what we discovered, to our surprise, was nearly always in a disaster, and we used experimental methods, virtual reality. We looked at historical incidents in crises, precisely because people are going through the same experiences. They develop a sense of shared identity, and that shared identity leads people to support each other, to altruism. One of the things that the SBIB reports talk about is the need to be as as transparent as possible and share as much information with the public as you can. So have you been surprised that the Spy B reports themselves have been so secret and they've been redacted until very recently? Yes, I put it publicly on record that I think it was a mistake to do that. There is a view, it's a widespread view, and it's a view that exists within government, that people are rather fragile. They can't cope with complex information. They can't cope with threat. And so in a crisis, they panic. Actually, when you look at the research, the notion of panic has largely been discarded by researchers because it's unhelpful and it doesn't describe what happens. People are generally quite calm. Uh, They're afraid, but they come together and they support each other. What tends to kill people in a disaster is lack of information, that people don't realise until too late how dangerous things are, and by then it's too late to get out. So the reason why we argue for openness is not some abstract principle. The key point is lack of openness is a killer in a crisis. And here is an example where I think the government has learned from its mistakes because number 10 has now agreed that nothing will be redacted unless it is a clear matter of national security. I, I, I'm shaking hands. I was, at a, I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus patients and I shook hands with everybody. Uh, you'll be pleased to know and, and I continue to shake hands. The conclusions of your meetings are published and looking at the ones from the 3rd of March... It's quite clear that you thought there should be big public messaging around the idea of not greeting people, not shaking hands. And yet it was exactly the same sort of time as Boris Johnson was standing up saying he's shaking hands with everybody. What was that like, sort of as somebody who understands the implications for people's behaviour? Well, people can look at the advice and they can look at what happened and they can draw their own conclusions. The one thing I would say is I think leadership is tremendously important in a crisis like this. And equally, it is tremendously important that leaders don't ask us to do one thing and do a different thing. A week later, a report from Spy B published on the 12th recorded overwhelming public support 
for cancelling mass gatherings. Sports events were being cancelled across Europe. Euro 2020 has been postponed until next summer because of coronavirus. And the committee warned that the government would look incompetent if it didn't act. They advised cancelling all sports events rather than allowing some to go ahead over others, and that any ambiguity or loopholes in advice would give rise to tension. We are considering the question of banning major public events such as... On the 12th, the Prime Minister addressed the nation and said the government were looking at banning mass gatherings, including sporting events. But the Cheltenham Gold Cup, scheduled on the 13th of March, went ahead. Yes, I think some mistakes were made. I think that keeping Cheltenham open was a mistake. It was a mistake not only for those who chose to go, it was a mistake for those who were working there and had no choice but to be exposed. So, yeah, we need to learn from our mistakes, and I think that was one of them. If you'd been able to advise the government directly on how they should have done the messaging over the last week, what would you have said? I mean, how could this have been done better? The overall principles of messaging are quite clear. Good messaging is not a vague hope. It's when you read it, you think, OK, I know what I must do and I know what I mustn't do. And talking to people as a group and drawing upon group norms. How can we draw on our sense of identity in order to say to people, look, this is who we are and who we are is protecting each other and staying at home. I think that's been done particularly effectively in Scotland and I'm also involved in the advisory group in Scotland. As we face uncertain times, we are certain of this. We are a country that looks out for each other, older people, those at risk. The messaging has very clearly drawn on that principle of making the behaviours you want part and parcel of who we are. Shopping prescriptions, taking out bins, lending a hand means everyone wins. Even a wee phone for a natter lets people know they matter. The Spy B reports do talk about the danger of confused messaging and people losing faith in the public health advice. Does it become harder to, if we need to, to implement a second lockdown if the infection rate goes up, if there's been so much confusion around this? Let's not underestimate the public and public common sense. People are aware of the dangers and people don't want either to infect others or to be infected themselves. But of course, getting it wrong doesn't help your credibility. Given the mixed messages that have been coming out over the last week, what are your worries about how this plays out in the future? Well, if people are confused and they do things that apparently they're not meant to, and then they get into tension or, or conflict with authority, with the police, then you can undermine the remarkable level of consent and order we've had to date. One of the key principles is equity. We have been successful thus far because, by and large, we have held together as a community. If you look at the research, it shows that the reason why people comply with lockdown is not because they fear punishment, it's because they believe we are all in this together. And you fracture that at your peril. If people begin to think, well, you have lockdown, but it's fine for some people, and it's no good for others, then you're in deep, deep trouble. If we come out of lockdown, it doesn't indicate that the struggle against the pandemic is over. It means we're entering a new phase. If I can 
John Winston Churchill, we're not at the end, we're not at the beginning of the end, we're at the end of the beginning. The important thing here is, I think we need to be open and straight and explain things to people. I hope one of the things that might come out of this would be a better relationship between the communications people and the social scientists looking at this as a case study and moving forwards. Because in criticising, we don't want to be destructive. Our aim is to help the government get this right and get us out of the mess that we're in. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Steve Reicher, Professor of Social Psychology at the University of St Andrews and a member of Spy B. The producers today were James Shield, Leona Hamid and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please do leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well informed on coronavirus and so much more with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.